0: They are innovators, visionaries, people pushing themselves, moving us all forward. They are architects, artists, teachers, builders, designers, dreamers, and doers. They are changemakers at USGBC. Welcome to Changemakers, powered by USGBC Plus, the member magazine of USGBC. I'm Rakesh Sakra Do you ever feel like climate change or global warming is just too big to wrap your head around? Like there's nothing you could do to actually make a difference? Today's changemaker has found a way through that feeling of paralysis. In the built environment, we tend to focus on the end result of the work we do. The building, the space, the community. But... What about the impacts from what happens before the building is constructed or after it's no longer in use? This more holistic thinking is growing in popularity and the subject of intense study. It's called Life Cycle Assessment, or LCA. For this edition of Changemakers, we sit down with Dr. Sean Hunter, the Global Product Sustainability Leader for the Dow Chemical Company. In this role, he oversees product stewardship and sustainability efforts for building and construction at Dow. Not only does Dr. Hunter have a deep understanding of life cycle assessment, but he puts it into practice every day. Prior to his current work, Dr. Hunter led the development of Dow's 2025 sustainability goals and served as a sustainability consultant and LCA expert. Dr. Hunter holds a PhD in chemical engineering, with a master's concentration in environmental sustainability from the University of Michigan, where he currently serves as an adjunct professor in chemical engineering. We had an enlightening and thought-provoking conversation. Enjoy. We have a lot to cover and not a lot of time, so let's start with why. What you do now is very heavily involved with sustainability, but why sustainability? What compelled you to get involved?
1: Yeah, so I'd say because sustainability is the area where you can have just the biggest positive impact. I think I've always wanted to to do good in some way, right? To, mm. to have some positive outcome from whatever I would spend my life doing. And so, you know, if you look at the whole sustainability space, I mean, that is all about doing good, <laughs> right? right? If I've got the ability to to help improve something somewhere, help us drive towards this sustainable state that we're trying to get to, and I can do that, then that's where I want to spend my time. I always think about one of the the quotes from Peter Wege, who was an early business sustainability kind of guy, And he'd talk about, you know, a good approach being to do all the good that you can uh, for as many people as you can, for as long as you can. And, you know, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing if everybody did that? And I think that just speaks to me in terms of kind of my overall drive and, you know, what I want to do when I get up in the morning. So I'd say sustainability is kind of the place to have uh, the biggest impact (laughs) over your career.
0: Let's talk about a topic you know very well. Lifecycle Assessment, also known as LCA. This is a hot topic right now in sustainability and the built environment. It's also found in LEED v4, the newest version of the rating system. Specifically, there is an option in the Building Lifecycle Impact Reduction Credit and a credit that encourages the use of products and materials that have lifecycle information. So can you kind of explain what LCA is and why it's important?
1: Yeah, so life cycle assessment is basically an attempt to account for kind of the full environmental impact of our decisions. So it might be, you know, consumption of a product or a purchase of a service. But let's say we're going to buy a beverage. You know, we're, we're thirsty. We, we want a soda or something like that. So the life cycle assessment is going to look at that and it's going to look a- across that product life cycle to try to understand what did it take in order for you to enjoy that beverage. Yeah. So obviously somebody had to make the beverage itself. Somebody had to make the bottle, um, but also somebody had to make the plastic or the glass or the aluminum that's in the container, and somebody had to, to you know uh, extract those raw materials ultimately from the earth. And then when you're done with it, you know where's it going to go? Is it going into a landfill? Is it going into a recycling system? And throughout the, that entire life cycle, you're going to have impacts, right? It takes energy to do all of that stuff. Right. So a life cycle assessment is going to look at how much total energy did it, you know, take society for you to enjoy that beverage. Mm. Um, so that's kind of a, a high level thinking in terms of you know how can we account for the the complete environmental impact, if you will, of a product. And when you hear things like carbon footprinting or water footprinting, you know that is exactly. A life cycle assessment.
0: So let's let's talk a little bit about the building sector. I love talking to you about this stuff, because you bring a very fresh and unique perspective, I think, to the buildings industry. Could you kind of talk about from where you stand, where you feel like where we are right now, and uh, where you see the market going in like five to 10 years?
1: Yeah, so um, I think in terms of where we're at right now, and I've kind of been involved in you know, the building space specifically for, uh, you know, a couple of years now, but sustainability, you know, much longer than that. Um, right. Where right now. I've, I've really been impressed with how the conversation has changed over even the last 10 years. Right. Um, just the power of the green building movement, all the energy you see at a green build, right. All, just all the fantastic things that are going on in the green building community. I think that's a really great place to be at. Um, is it enough yet? You know, are we yet to a sustainable place? Well, well, no, we're not, right? We we know we still have a whole lot of work to do. So um, I think what we're going to see is that businesses are going to continue to be kind of a leading voice in this whole sustainability discussion, and that's you know not only in the building and construction space, but really you know globally, in general. Um, you know, I'm hearing CEOs say things today that i never would have dreamed that they would say like what (laughs) for example um just you know sort of a self-declaration that business has to change Mm. that you know the way that we've been doing things while it's been extremely successful and it has really advanced humanity thus far you know it's not going to get us through the next hundred years and this is one thing that's really impressed me about even our own ceo andrew liveris Um, earlier this year he had a blog that came out it said the global economy is broken inclusive capitalism can fix it hmm. and for, for me you know to hear a major CEO come out with almost a heretical statement like that I mean that's just fantastic so there are a lot of efforts right now um, you know within the business community and engaging other sectors as well um, that are, that are kind of recognizing the need and really believing that the path to you know a prosperous future is to make some changes to the way we do business so that's kind of the the, biz, the big business sort of space. On the, the green building side, you know, I, obviously the, the green building effort is going to continue. Um, we're going to see it continue to expand globally, you know, into other economies, um, you know, Latin America, Asia Pacific. You know, I think it's really going to take hold. And when you talk about the material side, um, you know, the the calls for transparency and you know for you know product sustainability information, right? That, that's only going to to increase. And I think we're at a place today where, um, you know, there are a lot. There's a lot of good effort going on behind how do we how do we get at some of that information, and you know what? How do we, how do um, product manufacturers communicate to the rest of the market, to the architects, to the designers, you know, about kind of the, the safety aspects of their products? Mm. so there, there's a lot out there right now, it's kind of the, this large sea. And the whole intent is excellent because what what it's asking for is to say we want to have good information to make good decisions, and I think we're we're at still a point of evolution where we haven't yet found kind of the, the perfect way to do that. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I think the, uh, the the discussion around what information is needed. How do we transmit that information? I think that that debate's going to continue to go on. And I think, you know, kind of by working collectively, we can figure out how best to address that. But fundamentally, I mean, that's absolutely the right thing, that we do need to have, you know, the best information to make good informed decisions.
0: Knowing what you know now, uh, if you had a magic wand, and you could get the whole sector to just do X, what would that be?
1: I think that's a fantastic question. Um, With my sustainability hat on, if I had a magic wand, um, I would wave it and allow the definition of business success to be fundamentally changed. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's sort of talking about how do we better balance the long term with the short term in terms of decision making. It's talking about how do we internalize and put a value on some of the externalities, right, that aren't yet captured. So you know, carbon sort of impact, impact on nature, water scarcity, all these things that we know are long-term risks and, you know, need to be valued in some way. So that's kind of my high level question. And again, I think you hear a lot of dialogue in that space and I can only see, um, you know, activity and progress continuing in that direction. But for the building space specifically, um, I guess I kind of go back again to my, my LCA roots and look at the energy and you know, understand that the uh, you know so much of our impact as as human beings existing on this planet is related to energy consumption. And so, in the building space, you know, I really think there is an opportunity to better value um, how much energy efficiency can contribute to sustainability. You know, it, it's kind of the old example of uh, you know, purchasing a new house or uh, you know purchasing a new home. Um, you know what would you rather choose if you had to choose would you go with the granite countertops or would you go with a more energy efficient building mm. and you know i don't know that the the value of the energy efficient building is appreciated in the marketplace right i think a lot of folks are still selecting the the marble countertops yeah and they look fantastic You know, the only problem is they're not going to save you money. They're not going to save us energy over the life of the house. So we've got to find some kind of way to get at that discussion.
0: So topics like sustainability, climate science, climate change, they're so high level, big picture, you know, people feel like they can't really make a difference. In fact, there is a lot of confusion about what's actually helpful. So what are some things people can do to to live more sustainably?
1: Part of my background is as a life cycle assessment person. And when you look at the impacts from an LCA perspective, you, know, you tend to follow the energy. And so your own energy consumption in a house is one place to start. Another part of kind of that energy discussion, of course, is on mobility. And so, you know, what's the, the most sort of sustainable way of getting around that I can take? we've been driving uh, an electric vehicle and that was our only vehicle for a while and so you get into kind of okay well now you you know your your energy is not based on gasoline it's based on electricity and what are you using to make the electricity you know as the lca question is that actually better and so you can do that math but a- another way that we thought about that was you know, it's not just my current impact, but it's a vote for the future, right? By by making that choice, I'm voting for electrification of mobility. I I do believe in in voting, you know, with uh, the dollar that you spend.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, voting for the future. It's really about being a conscious consumer, right? Understanding that as people, as consumers, we have incredible power to affect change.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Another thing that's kind of related to that too would be, you know, your own um, diet choice. So, you know, w- when you look at kind of a plant-based diet versus a, you know, more carnivorous meat-based diet, um, you know, there are life cycle reasons and almost thermodynamic reasons that, you know, kind of t- talk about why a plant-based diet is much less burdensome. So, you know, where, where we can, we will prefer a vegetarian diet.
0: So you've talked about the importance of safety. Safety at Dow. What connection does safety have to do with sustainability?
1: Yeah, well you're certainly right about that in terms of Dow having a a very strong safety culture. Um that was something that I, you know, kind of realized uh, just how differently I was thinking after a couple um, you know, weeks working at Dow compared to how I was thinking even in grad school. So very strong safety culture. And I think your question is a really good one because at one level, they both stem from the same intentions and those intentions are to do the right thing, right? So, you know, to do the right thing means to bring a safe product to market. It means to keep the people working in your facilities safe, keep your communities safe. Yeah. Um. Sustainability is just the same thing, right? It's about doing the right thing. It's about looking at the challenges that we have, understanding that our decisions connect with, uh, you know, what the future might look like and that we need to kind of do the right thing and take the right decisions so that we do have a prosperous future. So they're kind of connected in that way. Um, you know, for us in the business community, if you look at it from a business perspective, there, there's another linkage because if you look at a company that has a strong safety program – and they have a strong sustainability program, both of those things can be interpreted as you know being really well-organized and being really responsible and dependable. So if you're going to do business with a company that has a strong safety focus and a strong sustainability focus, they're probably going to be a pretty good business partner, and you're going to want to work with them. So that's a, another way. And I guess um, if I think from a change maker perspective, if you are setting out, as a, a company to really have an impact in the sustainability space. You know, you can set big, bold, audacious targets and say, you know, we're going to change this. We're going to do that. If you don't have your own house in order from a safety perspective, hmm. if you don't have safe operations and safe products, you're just not going to be credible when you're trying to make these larger impacts and you know drive kind of the greater sustainability uh, movement forward, so th- they're linked in, in many ways, and uh, I think it's a great
0: question. That is an excellent answer, and I think it really shows how sometimes these two seemingly disparate topics, seemingly disparate ideas, are all connected. Because at the end, end of the day, it, everything is really connected. A-
1: absolutely, I mean that that is kind of the you know definition of holistic thinking, and you know, thinking at that macro level about you know how how things are connected. Um, actually I, I do a little bit of lecturing at the University of Michigan uh, for chemical engineers and in their senior design course they you know, they're sort of putting together everything they've learned they need to design a chemical plant and you know they, they can choose their project they're gonna you know maybe make a pharmaceutical you know out of uh, some raw materials hmm. and what them to think is you know look don't just stop at that process design right yeah you are going to design a chemical plant you know, which is essentially is a bunch of pots and pans put together you know to, to make something you're trying to make but don't stop your thinking there. think about where your raw materials are coming from you know take that life cycle view yeah think about where your product is going. why does society want that product you know what why what kind of value are you providing? So that sort of thinking is definitely something that is important to do in terms of, you know, making those greater connections to what's going on.
0: Now I'd like to shift gears just a bit. When we speak to change makers, we realize that we're talking to people who, in the process of changing the world, have also changed themselves. Changemakers are some of the greatest observers of life, really some of the best learners of life. So tapping into Sean, the lifelong learner, tell us, what's the best advice you've ever received?
1: Um, I think we hear it a lot, but uh, be yourself, you know, be authentic. <laughs> that, that comes up, you know, especially in uh, interesting conversations when maybe you've done some work, you've done a project and you're being asked questions, if you really don't know the answer to something, <laughs> right, it's much better to be transparent about that. Um, you know there's almost this kind of academic mindset also where when we're in school, um, you know we're being measured on do we know enough? are we are we good enough? right? If, if we don't know enough, then we're going to fail. And if we failed, that meant that we didn't know enough. When you get into kind of the working environment, of course, there's kind of a base level of knowledge that you need to have. Um, but ultimately success can be more about the fit than kind of what, you know, so if some opportunity doesn't work out for you, you know, it doesn't mean that you're not good enough. It might mean that you just didn't have the right fit in that area and you need to find the area where your natural talents, your strengths can allow you to shine.
0: So it seems like you've learned a lot of lessons along your way, and I thank you for sharing so many of them with us today. But what's the lesson that's taken you the longest to learn? Um,
1: Interesting question. Um, I know one lesson that I learned pretty quickly was when I first introduced my wife to my PhD advisor, and I said, Candace, this is Professor Phil Savage. He's the guy that I'm working for. And he said, no, you're not working for me. You're working with me. Mm. And that kind of struck me, you know, sort of a mindset of, hey, you know, there's not this hierarchical sort of thing, right? To be productive, we're all in this together, and so I, I've kind of taken that in, uh, you know, I guess my career to always, no matter what setting you're in, right, we're all in it together.
0: Sean, I'm listening to you talk, and it's clear you have a very definite passion for what you're doing. How do you think your upbringing influenced what you do today?
1: Yeah, so that's a really interesting question. Um, I think there are a few things. Um, So, you know, my career has been a a STEM career. And I I attribute a lot of my success, actually, to getting involved with music very early on. I, I started taking piano lessons when I was in first grade. To learn to read music and to think about time signatures and to know when to play which note when, that is a very mathematical exercise. And so, you know, when I've thought about, okay, why why did I enjoy mathematics? I attributed it to some of that early, you know, music kind of learning. But it wasn't just the math side from taking piano. It was also the discipline that you need to have to practice, right? And, and realize at a very early age that, well, you know, maybe you don't feel like doing something today, but you know you have to do it in order to be successful. And I think that was important to learn early. And overall, what that whole thing taught me was that, you know, if you put in enough hard work, you can succeed, and then from my parents' side, my dad, I think, is where I learned confidence. Mm. Sort of, again, at a really early age, um, you know, we'd read The Little Engine That Could, and we'd talk about, you know, I, oh, I, I, love think, that I, book. I think I can. And my dad would say, um, and I actually wrote this as a tribute in my uh, dissertation, but, you know, he'd say, I think I can is good. But don't say that. Say, I know I can. Because ultimately, mm. that's going to you know, put you in the right mindset to succeed. And so that's, you know, when I've run into challenges, right? you know, you're in something that just seems like this huge hurdle. You know, tell yourself that, you know, you've done things before. You're going to find a way through, I think, just really helps boast that confidence.
0: I'm so glad you mentioned that because isn't confidence at the core of so much of what we do?
1: It absolutely is. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with that more. The confidence just to... Especially when you're talking about in the change maker space, yeah. right? The confidence to, to recognize that something needs to be done and then to have the courage to do something about it. And yeah, you're probably going to have to push back on a little bit, right? Um, you're going to have those, those maybe difficult discussions, but if you've got the confidence internally and you know ultimately what the right thing is to do, you know, that's going to help pave your way to success.
0: We started with why, so let's end with how. How do professionals with a background in STEM like yourself become sustainability change makers.
1: Yeah, so to be a sustainability change maker, one thing that I think is really important especially as we're coming out of, you know, our our backgrounds as engineers and science majors and everything else where we've had that that discipline training focused only on chemistry or material science or physics or biology or whatever it is it can, it's really important for us to learn to break down silos. So many of the problems that we face, you know, just require interdisciplinary approaches to to be able to solve, you know, that whole collaborative mindset is really needed to wrestle with these, these huge challenges. And so, yeah, if you're an engineer, make friends with somebody in a social science and somebody who's going into government, all communities kind of have to work together to do that. So I think that's important to do to kind of to branch out beyond your own discipline. At the same time, if you're a STEM person, you need to recognize the value that you're bringing to the conversation, which is, you know, this science-based perspective, this sort of, you know, science critical thinking ability. In some sense, where's the data? I mean, that's that's the value of STEM is having just that more robust, informed conversation to, to kind of make decisions. Overall, though, I think, you know, it's important to recognize that The better we are at working together, the better we're going to be at solving these huge sustainability problems.
0: Well, thank you so much, Dr. Sean Hunter. This was delightful.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Rakesh. It's uh, been a pleasure and uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation.
0: Learning something new is great, but it's even better when you can do something with it. This year, we're introducing a new Changemaker segment called The Takeaway that distills key points and provides ways to take action. Dr. Hunter strives to use the power of business and technology to transition all of us to a prosperous society that lives within the means of the planet. And this commitment isn't just limited to his professional life. He believes small and smart changes in our personal lives add up to a very large amount of good large enough to slow down climate change and potentially reach a true state of sustainability. The conversation we just listened to explores Dr. Hunter's work and the ripple effect it's having throughout the built environment. We also heard his predictions for the future of the green building movement. In the article that accompanies this episode on usgbc.org, you'll find a list of things you can do right now. Want to learn how LCA thinking has been added to LEED V4, the latest version of LEED? Take a look at the credits and options that address LCA at the building and product level. Check out the LEED V4 User's Guide to learn more about how the materials section has evolved from LEED 2009 to LEED V4. For tips on how to live more sustainably at home, visit the Green Home Guide. Review courses on the Education at USGBC platform to learn more about materials environmental product declarations, and life cycle assessment. You can also get free CE hours by taking our quiz based on the conversation you just heard and reading the accompanying article. There are limitless things competing for your attention, so we greatly appreciate you sharing this time with us. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of Changemakers. Now, we wanna hear from you. What was your favorite part of today's episode? What were your takeaways Use hashtag ChangemakersUSGBC to share your thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. We'd love to know what you think. Thanks for listening.